Let's pray. Father, we come to you uh, this morning. Lord, we're grateful um, for this opportunity for us to gather and worship you through song um, and through your word, Lord. Uh, We just pray this morning, Father, that you would prepare our hearts, that your word would go out um, and convict um, where we need to be convicted, Father. Um, Show mercy where we need to be shown mercy. We just pray these things in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, good morning, uh, Mercy Hill. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with you um, this Sunday morning to bring you uh, the word. Uh, If you are new or if you haven't been here, before, my name is Matt. I am a pastoral intern um, for Mercy Hill. Uh, this year, again, if you're new, we are going through the book of Romans. I think we've set aside 50 weeks of the 52 to go through Romans. Uh, this week has us in Romans 6. Um, it's a short, I guess, in length, uh, number of verses section. Um, but it is a very powerful section, and so why don't we just read that? Uh, if you turn with me to Romans six, starting in uh, chapter or chapter six, verse twelve, it says this: "Let sin therefore not uh, therefore reign in your mortal body, to make it obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God." As those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your word. Uh, We thank you so much for the truth uh, that is in this passage. Uh, We just pray that... Uh, it would pierce us uh, this morning that we could truly understand it uh, so that we could live um, our lives out better um, and more pleasing to you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So to set up this morning, um, I want to talk about briefly, um, I know this is going to be another basketball setup. Last time you were here, if you were here when I was here, there was a basketball setup. And this is also going to be one of those, so I'll apologize in advance. But it's a different one, so it's still not the same thing. Uh, But this morning, I want to talk to set up about what it was like. um, For those of you who have ever played basketball, whether it's an organized or just shooting hoops in the driveway, uh, the progression of what that's like. Um, So for those of you who started out young, with a little tyke's hoop and a small ball. It was great. The hoop was low. We could get sort of a ball into the hoop. And then as we got older, the hoop got bigger and got taller and the ball got heavier. And basically what happens is we are small children with a heavy ball and a 10-foot basket. And we do whatever it is in our power that we can to hoist this ball from where we're at into this bucket, right? We all understand that in basketball, the most important thing is to get buckets. Everybody's aware of that. And so we go through life, or we go through several years here, until our bodies mature and we reach the age of puberty and we have more muscle and we developed all of this and it becomes easier. But what still remains is that old way of hoisting this ball into this basket. And then when we enter the age of 12 or 13 and we joint organized sports, at least that's when it was for me, the coach, his job is to help you become better, correct? He is actually going to teach you a proper form in how to shoot a basketball or how to do an actual layup. So for example, when I first, my first basketball camp, it was right-handed layups. You imagine a string attached to your elbow and your knee, and when you go up for the right-handed layup, that That's the leg that you jump off of is your left, and then on the other side. And these are these proper, we have this proper form, basically, which does what? But increase the probability 
that the shot that you shot is going to go in. Because as we explained earlier, the most important thing is getting the hoop in the, or the ball into the hoop, right? But what happens is as we step back and we learn this proper form, it becomes more and more important that we're practicing this, right? It takes thousands and thousands and thousands of shots for a person to change their form from what is horrible form to what is decent form and to be able to use it in a game. It's one thing to be doing form shooting thousands of times in a basket, in an empty gym, at a bucket by yourself. It's another thing to use that same exact form when the pressure is on in a game or in practice. Now, I realize some of you are probably confused as to why it is I'm talking about this, and that's fine. The point that I'm making is this. When we learn something new like that, when the pressure is applied, our bodies tend to revert back to the old ways. So I can spend months, years, thousands, hundreds of thousands of shots. I can practice my new form. But when the pressure is truly applied in a, in a game, the tendency is always going to be to go back to that old bad form, right? So in basketball, it may be whatever you want to call it. Your elbows go out, your feet aren't at the proper place, however you want to do it. But we exist now in this basketball world that I've elaborately developed with this tension between my old form, which is wanting me to do what it's telling me to do, and my new form, which is the proper way to do things, which increases my probability of making shots. Now I can tell um, by the blank stairs we have still some elaboration to go, so that's fine. But basically, what we're trying to set up here, and what Mark talked about last week when he brought the message, is um, Paul answers this question of what shall we say then? Are we to continue to uh, sin so that grace may abound? Because Paul had just explained previously that the law came to increase trespasses, but that we are not under it, but that rather we are under grace. And so today, we reach the culmination, or we reach the uh, imperative of Paul's argument, which is that sin is not, supposed, is not going to reign in our mortal bodies. And the reason of that is because he expressed to us in verse 11 that... Uh, you should consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. And so we exist now as Christians, as believers in Christ, with this old nature, this old ruler. You see, when we talked about, uh, when Paul says, let it not reign in your mortal bodies, and we're going to get into this, is that this idea that sin was our master, and now that we have are considered ourselves alive to God in Christ, that master has been overthrown, but yet it still exists. It's not been annihilated, but it's been overthrown, and it still is continually this, this tension that's going to happen between the, in the believer that exists between our old nature or our sin nature and now our new nature, our new form, which is that in Christ. And so Paul is going to teach us, or is going to talk about sort of um, the truth uh, and our new form, if you will. Um, he's going to teach us, or we're going to talk about uh, what we're not supposed to do, and then what we're supposed to do, and then how this plays out, or why this all works, why this is good news. Again, I do want to just impart the importance of um, the language in here, that Paul at no point claims that our sin has been annihilated. Um, our human nature uh, has sin in it. And so um, until we are on the other side of this world, sin will continue to exist. Um, so it is not correct, and I just want to be clear on this, uh, for people to say that they do not sin. Uh, because we still sin. We are still tempted. And this is part of that old master continuing to desire um, influence over us. But first, um, and so I just wanted to get, make sure that's clear, uh, and what we are talking about today. 
But I do want to read again verse 12. It says this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And then we're going to read the first part of verse 13. It says, Do not present your members as sin, members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Again, when we talk about reign here, we're talking about what we would consider uh, a king or somebody to exercise control over us. Um, sin is no longer in control of us. We are not to allow it to be our king. We do not live or reside in this sin uh, kingdom, if you will. If you remember in verse 11, it says this, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. And there's a very important thing that um, we need to discuss, and that is that it is in Christ that we are made alive. It is not in and of ourselves, but it is in Christ, which implies several different things. It implies, one, that this is our new identity. Our identity is no longer ourselves, but it is our identity is in Christ. We are in Him, and we are to be in union with Him. He is our Lord, and He is our Lord every minute of every day. Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you have died, um, and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. You see, the old way of reigning, or the old ruler of us, of our nature, has been defeated. Yet it does not mean that he's going to relinquish control. It will all, there's a constant desire of our sin to um, influence us, if you will. But this is the truth, that sin does not reign in the believer anymore. And then he's going to tell us that it's important for us to guard our members. Um, we are to guard ourselves from unrighteousness. This is not contradictory to the labor that Paul has had previously about grace is free and it is through faith that we are saved. You see, what we're talking about is this process that we call sanctification. So when we talk about our salvation, we talk about justification, which is this idea that we have been, uh, when we put our faith in Christ, that grace is bestowed upon us and that we are in a legally right standing with God. This is done not by anything of our power. It is fully the power of God that saves us. And we are justified that way. But the second part of it is this sanctification, which means that this is us that works with the Spirit that has been bestowed upon us or in us, that we are made holy. And we'll never be sanctified on this side of heaven, which is part of our hope, is that that day is coming, but it is through faith that we are justified, and it is also through faith that we are sanctified. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We can't do it in and of our own will, our own fruition. It is by faith that we are able to guard ourselves from unrighteousness. It's because we are in union with Christ, and it's because He is our, dent our identity, excuse me, that we do and we obey Him. We do what He asks us or we obey Him. I think of, in relationship terms, um, sometimes my wife will ask me to do what I have deemed stupid things. I do them, and that's good. And I don't do them for any other reason. I don't do them because it's, I'm expecting something from her on the back end of doing it. I don't do it because if I don't do it, I'm going to feel guilty. I'd like to think I do it even if I've deemed it not important. We'll use that as a better way to say that. Because I love my wife and because we are in a union. Right? We are one. And it's the same union that we are with Christ. We don't do the things and we don't obey Christ and we don't do what He's called us to do because we're expecting something on the end 
or because we're in a status of guilt, or because we think it's going to earn us any more grace. It's already been given to us. Right? We do it because He is our identity. He is who we are in union with. This is our sanctification process. Charles Spurgeon said that sanctification grows out of faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, holiness is a flower and not a root. It is not sanctification that saves, but salvation that sanctifies. The plea here is is quite simple. We are to guard ourselves, and we are to be not putting ourselves into bad situations. Let us guard our hearts from presenting, um, presenting it, excuse me, to sin for unrighteousness. Let's guard our feet, our arms. When he talks about members, he's talking about our physical members. Right? We have to guard what we're doing with those things. Let's not present them to sin for unrighteousness. I think of um, somebody who has recovered from alcoholism. Where's that person, where's the worst place for that person to go but back to a bar? Right? That's something that's tangible that we can avoid. Sin no longer has dominion over you. And this is a fact. This is not um, a possibility for those who are in Christ Jesus. Know that sin has no more dominion over you. We are to guard ourselves Not be like the pig who returns to the mire um, or the dog who eats up his vomit after he's vomited it. It was already in there one time. It didn't result very well, yet the dog goes back to it. Let us not be like that. Where once you had a master who had taken over... um, when you have a master who's been taken over, the old master will not relinquish control. And we exist in this world, on this side of heaven, with this tension between those two. Our new master, our new identity, and our old, always seeking more influence. So, if everybody would, uh, if you have a pen and paper, I... I'm going to do this illustration, but I'm not, I don't do like the slide stuff, so I'm going to instruct you on what to draw here. Um, it's real simple, but basically the setup is this. I need you all to draw on a piece of paper just a nice big rectangle. And then in the top right-hand corner, I need you to put a square, and in the bottom left-hand corner, you can put a circle. And then I need you to draw, no, no. Once you're there, then leave it there, okay? Basically, what I have mapped out for you is um, an example we would use when we talk about neural pathways in counseling. Uh, basically, if we look at what you've drawn now as a, as a field um, that would feed and water cattle. So in the top right-hand corner we would, where you put the square, we would consider this where we feed them. In the bottom left, where we would water them. Now, the logical thing that a cow will do, or horse even, will do after they've eaten is to go drink water. And so you can draw this connecting diagonal line to the square and the circle. But he's still with me. This is the important part. This is what we call a neural pathway. This is how our brains work. Is that we develop these neural pathways. We get used to doing certain things in certain ways. And that's why behavior change actually is really difficult because you're not just changing physical behavior, but you have to change how your neural pathways work. Anyhow. Now, what I need you to do is draw another line directly in the middle, making two separate parallelograms. So we're separating our once rectangle, and we're drawing a line right down the middle. So that our top right-hand corner and our bottom left-hand corner images are separate. Now, what will happen when the farmer does this is that those cattle will continue to use that old walking path, that old neural network, and walk to that fence and then be confused. Like, what is this? And then they will find a way to get to the water. They'll 
figure it out, but then that becomes a new pathway. When in fact, all they need is to be taught, they can just walk straight down and create a new walk, walkway, right? A new neural network. Is, this is how it works. Uh, this is why it's really difficult for actual behaviors to be changed because most people, uh, we, don't, we have to learn on our own, right? Instead of having somebody help us out. The reason I bring this up is because it is very much that same way when we have this old nature, we are under sin's rule, we are under sin's reign. And we live in fear and we live, um, we live in fear of judgment and we live in fear of the law as we should. But when we are in Christ, when we have been justified, there is a new way. There's a new way to do things. We are actually now free from that sin. We are free to follow Christ. We are free now to choose righteousness. This doesn't mean Again, that we don't struggle with sin. This doesn't mean that we don't struggle with temptation. But what this does mean is that we don't have to choose it anymore. We are no longer slaves to that master, but we are free now in Christ. He is our identity. We are in Him. I remind you what Galatians 5 says. It says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The Christian life is a constant battle. Um, It will never end on this side of heaven. We will always have our old nature, our old master desiring to influence us. It's not enough to just give a negative. And by negative, I mean the taking away. So Paul instructs, do not do this. But it's also important to give a positive, right? And by positive, I mean adding. And so Paul adds at the end of verse 13 what we are supposed to do. So he said what not to do, which is uh, do not present your members as uh, remembers to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Okay, then what? But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I think it's very important to note here that we are to present ourselves as those who have been brought from death to life. We were once dead in our trespasses, and we have now been been made alive in Christ. We are no longer dead to sin, we are no longer, we are now dead to sin, excuse me, we are no longer a slave to sin. And one of the things that happens when people give simple instruction like this is we often, at least I do, uh, get like a it must be nice type of a attitude like you don't have to struggle like I struggle like you know you got to you know Paul you met Christ on the road to Damascus like this you're like it's easy for you to say uh, you know present yourselves as right uh, as righteousness as from dead to to life and we get this sort of attitude but um, I remind you of a little bit of Paul's experience in uh, 2 Corinthians. He says this about his journey. He says, Five times I received at the hands uh, of the Jews forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rod, rods. Uh, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Uh, a night and a day adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, and danger from Gentiles, danger in cities, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, 
danger from false brothers and toil and hardship and hardship uh, through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold exposure. And apart from these things, there is a daily pressure uh, on me of my anxiety for all my churches, or for all the churches. Excuse me. We are to present ourselves as once dead, now alive to Christ for righteousness. We are his uh, instruments of righteousness. We are the tools. We are to present ourselves in that way. Our lives are to be changed, not just internally, but what we are also doing externally. I can only imagine, after uh, Paul doing what he did, how much that tension existed within his own life. This idea of the old sin master reigning, desiring influence over him, but the constant battle to choose to present himself as right to righteousness, to God for righteousness. It's why he wrote in Second uh, Timothy. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. When the Lord calls you and you receive Him, remember what you're signing up for. This is a battle. This is a constant struggle. However, brothers and sisters, we have now been made alive in Christ to God. We are in Him. We are to have union with Him. We are in a union with Him. And He is to be our Lord every minute, minute of every day. That's how it is. Not just Sundays, not just on small church nights. Christ is Lord. Where sin had dominion over you, He no longer has it. This is not a suggestion that to let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. This is a statement of fact. Let not sin, therefore reign in your bodies. Doesn't mean we don't sin, but it does mean that this isn't what's reigning over us. And then the question obviously becomes, when he says to present ourselves, excuse me, um, when he says to present our members as instruments to God for righteousness, what does that look like? What do you mean? Because we have to, it's all, we always want some sort of tangible thing, right? I want to take you back to Micah, the book of Micah. Um, one of my favorite passages um, in the sixth chapter, uh, starting in verse 6, it says this, and this would be um, the Israelites, they basically asking, um, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? With the Lord, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my uh, body for the sin of my soul? And Micah's response to them is this. He has told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love, uh, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. It doesn't have to be very difficult. Do justice. To love to kindness. Other translations say love mercy. And to walk humbly with the Lord your God. How do we do justice? Right? We do what is right. We treat people how we want to be treated. We treat people fairly. We treat people justly. To love to kindness or to love mercy. It's not just being kind. But it's our mercy that we extend to people. The same mercy that's been extended to us. We do that through our love. And I think the biggest one in this section, is to walk humbly with the Lord your God. To put it quite simple, 
Um, just remember who saved who. Remember the Lord's Prayer. And our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. It is very practical, but it is also life-changing. This idea of remembering who we are in light of who God is. C.S. Lewis said, Humility is not, thinking, um, is not thinking less of oneself, but thinking about oneself less. Charles Spurgeon said, True humility is thinking rightly of thyself, not meaningly, meanly, excuse me. When we have found out uh, what you, when you have found out what you really are, you will be humble, for you are nothing to boast of. To be humble will make you safe. To be humble will make you happy. Uh, to be humble will make music to your hearts when you go to bed. To be humble here will make you wake up in a likeness of your master by and by. My dear friends, this is how we present our members to God as instruments of righteousness. Humbly. So, uh, one of the things that, on sticking with this idea of humility, I wanted to tell you about is, <clears throat> in the DSM-5, which is, I don't know, I'm sure, uh, at least the one that I worked with, I'm not sure if they usually revise it by now, but the DSM-5 basically was uh, the book of, excuse me, diagnostic codes for mental health disorders. Um, I want to tell you about code, uh, the ICD code uh, F60.81, which is Narcissistic Personality Disorder. So, in pop culture, people throw words around like narcissist, like, but it's not the thing. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about MPD. Because MPD is one of those things that, um, in the mental health field, has a very poor prognosis. Most personality disorders prognoses are not good. NPD is probably one of the lesser of the personality disorders. And what makes uh, what narcissistic personality disorder often is is a response to severe or complex trauma uh, from a from a child. Often it starts um, in order for in criteria uh, a personality disorder in general has to start before age 18, or has to start at age 18, around there. Um, but basically, it's very poor prognosis and highly, un barely treatable. It's a minds over reaction. These schemas are created uh, to protect the person during that trauma, or during whatever it is they're going through. But that schema is now, um, their true narcissism um, there's rarely any responsibility to be taken for anything that happens that's not good, basically. Um, there's this idea that they're never fault, at fault or never wrong. Um, I've, like I said, I didn't know if I was going to say, like, fortunately or unfortunately. I used to work a lot with this um, when I was doing therapy. Um, it's very disheartening because... People with MPD are often the abusers in relationships, yet see themselves as the victims. And so it's very difficult to try to help them. Um, I won't say it's, it's not impossible, but it's very difficult at least just through um, therapy alone. Um, a person like this rarely is able to express empathy or experience empathy. It's actually one of the criteria for MPD. But... Um, unlike most other disorders, um, personality disorders, there's not a distinct timeline where things were ever different. So for someone who suffers from, let's say, anxiety, there was a time in life where they didn't experience said anxiety. Something changed, there was a shift, and so you can sort of hone down on the timeline and try to figure out what was happening prior to that. With personality disorders, especially NPD, there is none of that. It's always been this way uh, because it's it's a schema thing. Now, um, I tell you this not just to uh, tell you about NPD and what it is, but 
Um, I wanted to give you the most extreme example that I could of somebody who truly lacks humility. And I don't say this to um, put people who have this down, um, but I do it as in a way to give you an example of what it looks like when we forget who we are in light of God, in light of what Christ has done for us. Um, we must humbly present ourselves to God. Again, as somebody, as, um, who, as someone who's been brought from death to life. Right? This is the biggest thing. That we are now in Christ. He is the one who has brought us from death to life. We have been freed from our shackles and sin. The question now becomes, how do we walk humbly in union with God? Romans 12, 1, and again, we'll get to Romans 12 whenever we do. Um, but I do want to read this from Romans 12. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters, we must continue to be in the word of God. We must continue to be in prayer. We must continue to be in community with one another. There are times uh, where we need people to preach us the gospel. Um, we cannot receive that from our brothers and sisters if we don't live in community with our brothers and sisters. Philippians 3 says, Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. This tension will constantly exist. We are no longer under sin's reign. But he will const our sin nature will constantly desire to influence us. And we, however, are free now to choose to do what is righteous and not unrighteous. Christ is the vine, and we are to abide in Him. As your life goes on, as your walk, I guess we say, as your walk with Christ continues, it becomes more clear when, the, uh, when we're being influenced or when we're trying to be influenced by our sin. It becomes more clear when we sin, what we've done. It becomes more painful, at least for me, when we do give in to that. But it makes us long for that day of glory. It makes us long for the day more than streets of gold, more than pearly gates, but the day that we no longer have to feel this tension with sin. Where sin is completely eradicated. And verse 14 is the good news, brothers and sisters. It says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. This word um, dominion means lordship or exercise influence. It's similar to what he said in verse 12 in terms of rain. We no longer have to live in fear, brothers and sisters, of the law. Do you know why? Because Christ, when we are in Him, we are now under grace. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is what we uh, can celebrate. Is that no longer do we have to fear the law, but now we get to live under grace. We, have been we are dead to sin and we have been crucified with Christ and we have baptized into Him. And this 
moment, in this moment of justification, when we put our faith in Christ, we are justified. And in that moment, we also begin this sanctification process, this process of being made holy. It is impossible for the non-believer to be free from sin's bondage. It is not until we are in Christ that we are free. This doesn't mean that we don't struggle with sin. This doesn't mean that we don't sin. But we walk humbly with the Lord. We are in union with Him. And we notice when the old master tries to influence us. But just know we can choose something else. We can choose to be righteous. And we know why sin doesn't reign anymore. Paul says it in the second part of this verse. He says, you are, under, you are not under the law, but you are under grace. We no longer need to be fearful because we are under grace. Excuse me. We are under grace. We know that we won't do anything to add to our salvation. And that's fine. We have been saved by faith in Christ and is the power of God that has saved us. And it's because of that now we walk in His righteousness. Remember in Romans 5 when it said, the law came to increase trespass, but where, in, or where sin increased, grace abounded more. The law is not capable of saving anyone or doing anything other than condemning. The law showed how impossible it was for anybody to save themselves. That's why we say Christ came to fulfill the law. And that's why when we are putting our faith, or when we put our faith in Christ, that He imputes then that righteousness onto us. We are now in Him. Which means we're under grace and not the law. Paul spent the first two and a half chapters chapter and a half, laboring, letting everyone know that nothing we can do apart from Christ can save us. We cannot save ourselves. We're incapable of that. Paul has labored over this point. It is only through Christ that we are free from sin. Sin will not reign because we are not under the law. You no longer have to be a slave to sin. We now positionally operate in Christ Jesus. We are free to present ourselves to the, as those who have been brought from death to life. And to present our members to God as instruments of tools for righteousness. This tension will always exist, but that's okay. Because we can put our faith in Christ. The grace of God is what saves us, and is the grace, and the grace of God is greater than the sin that is in you and I. So sin shall not reign in our mortal bodies. There's an example. Um, I remember three years ago, I think we did our first E2 course. It was probably 30 of us. We met for like three hours on Sunday nights once a month. Uh, by the end, we had about 20% participation. Um, but I remember it was where I was introduced to um, this idea, of, uh, this concept of root to fruit. So basically, um, this idea of our salvation, our justification, is the root which would be where hearts are. This is our root. This is internal. Roots are underneath. 
But when we are justified, it will always produce some sort of fruit. Because lots of people like to say, oh, well, I was saved at this date, and I'll use that as my, you know, card to get out of hell, apparently. Um, Justification, true justification, will always lead to some form of fruit. Right? It will always lead to us striving, and it's not, again, I say striving, it's not of our own will, it's not of our own fruition. It is through faith that we are able to choose righteousness. It's not our own will that we do good deeds. It is only through the will of Christ. It is only because we are in Him that we can do this. This is the good news. Is that true saving faith will always produce good works. And we don't have to be in fear when we sin because we're not being held to that standard anymore. We're not under the law. We are under grace. So when we sin... Because we're going to all sin. We can repent and we can still live in freedom because sin is not in charge. Sin is not what's reigning in our lives anymore. It is... um, Again, the position in which we do this is not one of, I'm going to get something in return or that I'm adding to my salvation or anything that I owe Him. We don't obey Him out of guilty or duty. We obey Him because our hearts have been transformed. It is out of our love for Him that we obey Him. We must continue to grow in our affections for Him. And it will change everything. Before, um, when sin reigned in our bodies, it knew exactly what we needed to feel comfortable our minds, our bodies. Sin knew what made, it, made things feel good. But it is no longer our master, which means that sometimes we need to be patient and wait upon the Lord in His time to show us what we're supposed to do so that we are not presenting ourselves, our members, as you would, Um, to sin for instruments of unrighteousness. But we can present our members to God for units of, or tools of uh, righteousness. On this side of heaven, the tension will always exist between our new nature and our old. The brothers and sisters... Um, we are free to choose to do righteous. We are free because we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. And this is our good news. Nate, you can you can come up. Um, yeah, I uh, was thinking how I want to close and do everything like that. But it's really, I want to give you um, one challenge, I guess. I don't know if it's a challenge. but um, For those of you who are in Christ, and you like many, oh, I do at least. We talked about last time I was here too. Struggle sometimes with assurance. Assurance of my salvation. Assurance of... You know, am I truly saved? If all of this that we talked about today is true, then there will have been a time before Christ. There's a life before, and now there is a new life. 
for myself, I look back at what my life looked like before I um, started truly following Christ and truly doing, presenting myself, I guess, my members as tools for righteousness. And there's a, a distinct difference. Maybe not that I sinned less or that I sinned less now than I did then, but it's rather, um, yeah, there's just always going to, there's going to be a stark contrast because the salvation, your justification, that root will begin to produce fruit, right? If you're not in Christ, brothers and sisters, I would implore you, um, you don't have to live in fear of the law when you're, on, when you're in Christ because you are free under grace. And so I would implore you, beg you to truly consider um, putting your faith in Christ because apart from that, we are still dead in our trespasses. But we can be brought alive in Christ. He can be our new identity. So let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you. Lord, for the cross. Um, thank you that, Lord, your grace is abundant. Um, it is more than we deserve that you are gracious your grace knows no end and your mercy Father we just pray um, for everyone in here Lord that as we go out we would continue to present ourselves to you um, so that you may use us um, for your sake for righteous sake in your name we pray Amen.